Welcome to the Organic Gardener Podcast. I'm your host, Jackie Marie Beyer. Let's get growing. Welcome to the show today. I'm very, very excited to introduce my guests, um, Mr. and Mrs. Nikki and Jeremy Weibel. They are the Wayfaring Weibels, and they are also WOOFers, which stands for Worldwide Opportunities on Organic Farms. And they are traveling around searching for the perfect homestead and permaculture site. Um, and so as they explore different places around the globe, they're honing their skills as gardeners to live a sustainable lifestyle. And so you can check out their blog and um, we're just going to hear about their adventures today. So I'm very excited to um, introduce to them. Welcome to the show, Jeremy and Nikki. Hi, Jackie. Hey, Jackie. Thanks for having us. Go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourselves. Well, first we met in 2013, taking a course on permaculture. We got married a year ago and moved to Northeast Pennsylvania, a place called Sullivan County, where my family has uh, vacation cabin land. Uh, it's a great opportunity for us to come here and test run a homesteading lifestyle, sharpen our skills, and learn more about organic gardening. We're also experimenting with new techniques here. Um, you know, we, we're, we're doing the homestead thing while we're living here, but also in between we're traveling in search of our own homestead land. And, you know, during our travels, we're doing woofing, as you said, Jackie. And it's basically a program where people go onto organic farms or other homesteads or, you know, small community gardens and you get free room and board for, you know, a few hours of work a day. And, you know, when your work is done, you have free time to yourself, you know, to explore the location. And that's the time where we've been, you know, looking for, for our own land where we would like to homestead someday. So. Yeah. It's more economical for us uh, on a tight budget and we get to play in the garden <laughs> while we're searching for for land so it's been a great uh experience experience highly recommend it to anyone who's interested in in gardening and also traveling all right well i'm so excited to hear about some of the places that you traveled to tell us about one of the places that you went to as a woofer that was super exciting <laughs> well we had the uh luxury of three months stint in Argentina last fall and yeah all the way to the Patagonia region of the Andes Mountains so that was incredible Rio Azul it's gorgeous so gorgeous um okay listeners so I had a few technical problems with my audio here so um there might be some questions that got missed and you're just going to hear the answer on the Chilean side it is, but uh, there's massive yep, in between there. It's just so surreal to see these beautiful mountains there, and then you're just hanging out in the garden. i uh, just not sure. Um, each country has sort of their own wolf program. So there's Wolf USA, Wolf Argentina, there's Wolf Australia, and you get a membership. You pay for a membership to these you know, programs within each country. Um, then there's, you get a list of wolf hosts, you 
read the description of the kind of work you'll be doing. And then you get in touch with, with the host and see if it would be a good fit. And um, also about timing, you know, how long you're intending to stay, that sort of thing. We decided three months because when we got married, Jeremy was really hell bent on, you know, moving to Patagonia. It's this beautiful country. It's amazing climate. Um, and so I said, you know, okay, fine, we can go, but we can't go for two weeks. You need to really be immersed in it to see if this is a place that you're interested in truly living. So, you know, three months seemed like, you know, an appropriate length of time. Um, first I have to say, Jeremy did not speak any Spanish. (laughs) So I was sort of stuck being the person with my broken Spanish you know, red light right there. Um, so we did that. Uh, needless to say, after the three months, you know, as beautiful as it was, you know, our plans changed. This might not be the place for us. We might need to go somewhere where they speak English. So now we're thinking uh, our next venture would be New Zealand. So yeah, we'll see. See how it goes. <laughs> Fortunately, we ended up woofing at many locations which they spoke English uh, so that limits our limits our ability to practice our Spanish no we bounce around different parts of the country um, I think five wolf sites in yeah. total yeah because Argentina is so big and we also wanted to see as much of it as possible I knew one friend um, but he wasn't there <laughs> he was supposed to be there but he wasn't but he opened his door and we hung out with his family for a couple of days and had a great time in Cordoba. But other than that, no, just uh, no cell phone, made it a nice, interesting adventure, taking bus, 20 hour bus trips all over the country. Oh, and Tigre. Tigre. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, north of Buenos Aires, there's the r- River Delta where the whole community is just um, only accessible by little small boats through canals. And we end up woofing there for about a week. And we're, it was a bamboo operation. So during the day, we'd go out and just with machetes, whack down bamboo and try to uh, main, manage it into a nice grove. Um, oh, the first night that we arrived there, there was a huge flood. And we got to our, our little host site. They showed us to our, where we would be staying, the little building. You go up the steps and outside below those steps, there was a small little boat. And the guy told us, you know, that's here in case of flooding. And, you know, <laughs> it was kind of a joke, okay. That night, it rained and poured. And we totally understood why that boat was out there. Because the water level, I don't know, how, how tall did it get? It must have rose 15 feet. Yeah. So we took a little boat ride around the property middle of the night what once was lawn was now like a lake it's crazy bizarre i'll lead my first active gardening role was only about six years ago uh growing peppers with my father Uh, after that i decided to double his garden and uh rest is history that was in new jersey myself i i grew up in new york city where there's you know very limited opportunity to garden um but you know today in New York City, there are so many community gardens popping up and on vacant lots and also school school gardens. It's becoming more of a trend. So I think urban kids are becoming more exposed to gardening and 
learning about what their food, where their food comes from these days, which is great. But when I was growing up, I, I didn't have those opportunities. It, it wasn't until I was an adult, you know, a few years ago through a volunteer program with an organization called New York Cares. That's when I first got a taste of gardening. And it was at a school, a magnet school that focused on the environment. So they had an aquaponics lab, a garden, and each time I would show up for these volunteer days, you know, you would observe the excitement and curiosity in these kids about being in the garden and, you know, handling soil, catching worms and their squeals. It was really encouraging. I, that's like my first taste of it and decided, all right, how about I just plant a little window box? That's when it started. I did not have a green thumb. Let me just say that first. <laughs> so I tried basil, I tried some thyme, even flowers. They didn't do very well. Then I learned, you know, there's a point where you need to repot these things. You, they need room to grow. And I think it got better after that. Well, I think it's simply not using chemicals. And that sort of, you know, extends to creating and fostering a system that allows nature to do what it does naturally. Um, you know, right now we have a huge slug problem thanks to all the rain, but I read somewhere this quote, you don't have a slug problem, you have a duck deficiency problem. You use nature to fix things and balance things out. So with all of our slug issues, we're actually going to go tomorrow and pick up a couple of ducks and try to fix that. I think that's working now. Okay, well, it looks like it didn't record anything I said up until now. Okay, sorry, I was looking at the thing. So, tell me one more time, what happened? You, you had a problem, you had a slug problem, and they said you have a duck problem? So you got baby ducks? <laughs> no, we have, we have a slug problem, and we're reading this you know, permaculture principle book, and in it, the author, Bill Mollison, says, you know, you don't have a slug problem. You have a duck deficiency problem. And it's the idea of permaculture is working with nature, letting, turning to, to natural. Um, what am I trying to say? The problem is the solution. The problem mm -hmm. is the solution. Or rather than turning to chemicals or man-made solutions, yeah, you you find something else in nature that will solve your problem. So, and the ducks naturally love slugs. You know, you don't need to get them to do anything else than what they naturally do. It's what they love to do. <laughs> um, so that's where I was going with that. But awesome. So how many ducks are going to get? I think two's enough. I want to get a good handful, <laughs> but we'll see how that goes. Okay. I'm just, I've, I got to erase the guilt of handpicking and destroying all these slugs and snails at night. I need to see it go into a more useful um, application as opposed to just burying them in wood ash. At okay. The end of the night. So, you know, my big question is always like when people tell me to um, get chickens to get rid of a bug, how do you keep the chickens from eating the plant? So I'm going to be asking you guys in a week or two, how'd you get, how'd you keep the ducks from eating the veggies in the garden? Well, we just got chickens a few weeks ago and it's been, 
I think Jeremy's enjoyed it more than I have chasing them out of the garden. <laughs> do you have them in a pen or anything, or do you have the garden fenced? Or the the majority of the garden that we're growing most of our veggies is fenced. Um, so the idea is that ducks will stay out on the edge too. Mm-hmm. Um, from what I read, the slugs like to eat the ducks droppings more than your veggies. So they'll be lured outside the fence into the ducks droppings. And then hopefully it'll just be a nice cycle there. We'll see how it goes. Ooh. Okay. Excellent. That's a great thing to, for listeners to hear. And, uh, I like that a positive solution to the thing. You want to hear the funniest thing? So we've had chickens for almost 10 years and I have bugged Mike and bugged my husband, Mike, to build like some kind of door so they could get out of their pen and into the woods. And he's always told me, no, we can't do that because the pen keeps them safe. It keeps predators away. So finally he built me a door. And of course he was right. The predators got the chickens, but most of all my chickens that I have now, when I do let them out, they last outside of their pen for all of like five, maybe 10 minutes. And if I'm not standing there and I mean like standing outside, outside of our garden and out kind of like in the wooded area, they go right back in their pen anyway. And they end up hanging out in there all day. I can't keep that. I can keep the gate open. And then like last night I ended up calling him at like midnight and I'm like, uh, I left the gate open. You got to run down there. And poor man had to go shut the gate. So, um, Yep, that's my story with, like, wanting the chickens to be... So I've always kind of stayed away from the chickens because I didn't really like them being in a pen. But now, after I've been letting them out, I'm falling in love with them. They're, like, the sweet... They're so smart, and they follow me around, and they just... They don't really let me catch them, or they might have, but I'm kind of, like, afraid to pick them up. I haven't got past that yet, but they're they're really cool. So you might get used to them, Nikki, and find that you love them before you know it. They all have their own little personalities and just, um, and we even got this white turkey that's, I guess, blind in one eye who laid two eggs yesterday. She's really cool. And just, uh, yeah, they're fun. So, um, but yeah, we don't let them into our actual garden, garden area. Anyway, enough of me talking. Who or what inspired you to use organic techniques? How'd you guys even well, find out about the woofer program? Friends, through friends that had done it, you know. Um, no, where do you Jared get friends had- like that? <laughs> 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 Sorry. Cool. Okay, so friends, and go ahead. I'll quit interrupting. Who or what started you to using organic techniques? Um, that's, that's a tough one because when I first started gardening with my dad, I was under the impression that you had to apply fertilizer so the plants would, would thrive. Um, it wasn't until you added fertilizer when they would shoot up and start producing. Um, but then I learned about permaculture principles that I realized you don't need conventional fertilizers to obtain yields and how important it is to have a holistic approach to gardening. Um, if you want to eat nutritious food from your garden, all the inputs of your garden need to be healthy as well the water, the air, the soil. So it's hard for me to pinpoint a person that inspired me, but I think uh, I got to contribute permaculture principles. Cool. You're here. <laughs> uh, well, how about you, Nikki? How did you learn how to garden organically? How? Or what, in, or just, what inspired you? Uh, I don't really know what inspired I, 
I guess when I became interested in gardening, organic was the only way to go. It's the only one that made sense in my mind. You know, if you're interested in growing your own food for nourishment and nutrition and health, why would you do anything else but organic? I don't know. <laughs> I totally agree. I wonder the same things all the time. But I did talk to a gentleman the other day who was saying that like when, you know, chemicals and things first came out, it was kind of like this new like revolutionary thing like, oh, our problems solved. Look, we can just put this safe pesticide on our thing and the weeds will be gone. We don't have to weed so much anymore and it's it's going to be this great thing. And I think they thought because, you know, the government was approving the pesticides that it was a good, you know, that obviously they weren't harmful to people and you know, I think until you know studies have been done and we've had a long time to see what happens you know people really didn't know and I think some people still really don't know and I certainly ask lots of people to be on my show that are like I can I am I put miracle Girl on my flowers so they'll bloom faster and you know are still doing those things today so um yeah I don't but I don't know. And the other thing I was going to say is one thing I said when my friend interviewed me the other day and I realized after listening to it that a lot of times I will say things like putting fertilizer is is like an is a but really what I'm thinking about I think this is what you're talking about is like using chemical fertilizer because technically I guess manure would be fertilizer and you know I mean we have our chickens just for their manure the eggs are just a bonus so I guess I kind of just wanted to mention that anyway go ahead and tell us about something that's growing well in your garden or grew well last year or is growing really well this year I don't know how long how long have you guys been there have you do you have something that was growing there last year yeah, last year we started uh, quite a few beds, and so first year plantings in these beds, and the tomatoes just thrived. Yeah. Uh, amazing year for tomatoes last year. But ironically, the other nightshade family members, uh, peppers and eggplant, didn't do anything uh, in the same beds. But tomatoes last year and this year, arugula and valerian. Yeah, they're doing really well this year. What do you use valerian for? Can you tell listeners? Is that like a salad? Like arugula goes in your salad, but is valerian more an herb, right? Yeah, yeah, it's a medicinal herb. Um, we use the roots to make tinctures, which helps with um, sleep as a sleep aid at night and also to relax. Um, the valerian flowers, you can make an infusion and put it in your bath water if you want to take a bath after a long day in the garden. Ooh. It's really relaxing. And it smells amazing and the pollinators love it. Okay, cool. Is it what's it look like? Is it like a little flower or a bigger flower or it's it over six feet tall right now. Yeah. <laughs> With white flowers. Uh, umbrels. Umbrels. Cool. Do you want to explain what an umbrel is? Maybe for listeners, uh, it's been a, and you know, I could probably use a refresher. Like it's been a long time since I took a botany class. Sure. It's, it's I guess it's more of a, if you can imagine an umbrella. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a bunch of different stalks coming off at the top of the plant, mm-hmm. little tiny flowers on each uh, stalk. Yeah. Similar to when like parsley goes to flower. Mm-hmm. That's parsley, what I was thinking of. Or dill. Carrot. Your dill, yeah. exactly. Fennel, dill, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, how about, 
I'm glad you explained what Nightshade family were, too. I just was listening to a podcast last night, and they were talking about Nightshade family members. That was the first time I had ever heard of that. So what makes them... Do you know? Like, what? I had never heard that term before. What makes something a nightshade? Tomatoes are considered a nightshade plant? And then peppers and eggplants, you said? Yeah, I believe um, it's the category categorization in the Latin family. Uh, forget the scientific terms mm-hmm. beyond that okay uh, i just i've learned mostly about that through companion plantings and separating your nightshade and your brassica for the most part the brassica being your cabbages and cauliflower and broccoli okay hi huh, i never heard that before so you're supposed to separate like broccolis from tomatoes and eggplants uh, to a degree um some of the are antagonistic to each other as opposed to aiding them. Uh, they put out different exudates in the soil and they just come in conflict with each other at times. Or they attract different soil members that will create uh, problems or diseases with the others. So, I mean, we're just learning about it uh, as of last year. We're experimenting, trying to really understand ourselves. That's the idea of it. Cool. Excellent. You guys are going to be like the amazing garden encyclopedias when you're done. Uh, (laughs) How about something you want to try new or different? Something you're excited to try this year that you haven't done before? Uh, We're adding, we added a few hops rhizomes. So we got some of those growing. A lot of different seeds, uh, I mean herbs, uh, such as sesame, caraway, flax. Ooh. Um, oh, and we started cultivating our own mushrooms, too. Yeah, we, mushroom culti- we inoculated some logs earlier this year. That's exciting. Do you want to tell listeners how that worked? Like, you what does that even order- mean, to inoculate some logs? <laughs> <laughs> so you purchase these little dowels that have... Um, been inoculated with mycelium mycelium. of different mushroom varieties and then you take a log certain mushrooms should be grown on certain logs really Um, we did pearl oyster mushrooms on ash ash and maple ash and maple so you drill the holes in these logs then you put the dowels in you hammer them in with a rubber mallet uh then you put some wax over over the dowels to protect them from bacteria and then you just kind of set it in a wet shady place and wait a few months six or seven months be patient for them to fruit into mushrooms excellent um i heard a really good podcast with some guys that i wish i could remember the name of it i'll try to put it in the show notes that had a whole business these two kids from california or i call them kids of course because my stepkids are in their 30s so um but they had a great business i want to say they called it back to the roots um about uh growing mushrooms and some of their trials and tribulations are pretty funny to hear and then the other thing that you mentioned that i thought was interesting oh you said you were at you were growing hops Um, so I interviewed another fellow podcaster who has a, um, what's his podcast called? 
I think it's Brewing Business, the Brewing Business podcast. His name's Tim Nichols. He's like my episode number six or seven. And he talks about the need for organic hops out there. So if you guys are interested in selling some hops, it sounds like that's a pretty um, new and up and growing field that there's just not enough organic hops out there. So they do sound kind of... Um, labor intensive to get the actual hops or it did sound to me I don't know and my husband's been trying to grow hops so um but we just have a little bit growing up over the fence so um anyway how about something that didn't work so well this season we've had trouble with spinach and Nikki loves spinach and I just for whatever reason didn't germinate or Maybe the slugs got it as it's germinating, but we didn't get any spinach this year. Sad. Yeah. Um, hmm. Okay. Uh, we have a wild spinach that grows pretty good here. Our problem with the spinach was it just bolted. Like, it was there and gone, it seemed like, within two days. Like, I didn't get to harvest hardly any spinach. So I think it was a tough year for spinach. Um, now, do you are you going to try and plant some more in the fall or? Oh yeah, and definitely. Do, and do I keep... like a spinach. Usually, the the way spinach usually works best for me is if I put it in the fall and it comes up in the winter through the snow, like and is is the first thing there in the spring. I think I always have more luck good. with it that way. Mm -hmm. I have to try that. Yeah. Um, something that you find is easy to grow and generally successful every time. Mustard greens. Oh, okay. I don't know where they came from. We put them in, but every year they just keep coming back. They're delicious. Amazing. Yeah, the variety we have is called Osaka purple and it's just like salad mustard goodness. Yeah. <laughs> they self seed so easily just like cilantro so once you if you let them once they bolt and you let them go to seed you'll just keep coming back up and they tend to travel they're in all different garden beds now yeah <laughs> it's my kind of gardening i love it my dill i was just pulling dill yesterday thinking that it had done that and was coming up already all over the place and my oregano is just out of control I have not had good luck with cilantro. I'm thinking, how can I not have cilantro coming back if it just self-seeds like that? Like, I do not have a cilantro plant anywhere in my garden. And that's like one of my all-time favorite herbs. Hmm. hmm. I'll have to try that. Chicken to that. Yeah. Yeah. Ours didn't start self-seeding this year until I took the mulch layer off. And I maybe it needs some light to germinate. I don't know. Okay. I'll have to check into that. Uh... How about something you would steer new gardeners away from that you find is typically challenging to grow in your climate? This is a really hard one because, you know, with, with climate change, it's everything sort of unpredictable. What will grow well today might not, you know, next year, who knows? Um, so I would say if you like eating something, Try growing it. Grow something that you want to harvest and consume and find a way to do it. I don't know. Just try. Yeah, it sounds like you guys are growing all sorts of cool things. I just keep thinking back to your Argentina experience and like, I just kind of wanted to answer these questions for those things. Like, what, what was like the most successful crop you had down in Argentina or one of your other places that you've been to? Uh, 
or something unusual that you grew somewhere or something. Hmm. It was tough because we our stints were only a few weeks, um, but uh, from what we hear, the three sisters bed down there did really well. The corn beans and squash. Uh, Another companion planting thing that we <laughs> decided to take with us and tell everybody about it. Um, All right, tell the listeners about it. Uh, three sisters is part of guilds. Um, plants that do well together. So in this case, we're talking about corns, beans, and squash. Um, each one sort of helps to support the other two. The, the needs, uh, whether it's the squash providing like a mulch layer at the base and then the corn growing nice and tall, which the beans can theoretically just climb up. Um, I believe it's sourced back to Native Americans approach. Yeah. Of okay. Northeast. Or of the U.S. Now, is it green beans? I always pictured it as being like, you know, pinto beans or kidney beans. Does it matter? Maybe it doesn't matter. Yeah, I don't think so. Especially with the beans, the legumes putting nitrogen back into the soil, which um, both the squash and the corn just are heavy feeders of nitrogen. So They need it. Yeah, it's a nice guild. Cool. All right. How about, do you have a least favorite activity to do in the garden? Something you just got to force yourself to get out there and do? <laughs> Weeding? Oh my gosh. I, it's like sometimes getting out of bed in the morning. <laughs> You've had a long day the day before. You know, sometimes it's just like, okay, fine. I'll only do two hours today. That's all I need to do. And sometimes that's all it takes. You know, you're out there and then the hours go by you don't even notice so it's just getting started on the weeding for me for me i don't i don't mind the weeding so i guess that's what makes it work for us uh, <laughs> i just i honestly i don't care to harvest too much because then i have to prepare it so yeah, i'll, I'll it. take the weeding and you can do <laughs> cool a couple meet in heaven uh what was I going to say? Tell us how big your place is there. Like, you know, is it like a quarter of an acre or a lot size or is it, you know, bigger or smaller? Like how big, like kind of give me a visual. Sure. Um, it's fairly rural and we, there's a total of 37 acres, but we're just focusing on zone one. Uh, the garden, uh, let's see, we have maybe eight different garden beds. Or maybe 100 square feet mm-hmm. of gardens that we're that cultivating. Helps. Yeah. And we're trying to establish a food forest and, among other things, a little nuttery, um, some tree crops that are natural investments into long-term uh, yields. Excellent. Since we're yeah, planning to move on, um, not stay here forever, but we... A lot of hands-off um, cultiv- cultivation of tree crops where you don't have to maintain them as as vigorously as a veggie garden. Um, so you just plant them, get them established, and then you have hazelnuts for 10 to 30 years. You just come up a certain time of year to visit, and you're eating hazelnuts and collecting filberts for the winter. That's the idea. See how it goes. 
Excellent. Do he, so hazelnuts and filberts will grow right there? Are they not warm weather trees? They're trees, right? Uh, they're small shrubs uh, oh, they turning into trees. Yeah. Um, they get 15, 20 foot tall. Uh, yeah, they. from what I gather, they're pretty – there's a nice sweet spot for them. Nice. Okay. How about your favorite activities to do in the garden? Hmm. I love to, uh, simply observing the growth uh, of the garden from day to day and seeing the soil build over time. Um, putting your hands in the soil and just seeing all the life and the tilth uh, advancing. Um, that's what I love to see. I love going out there with my camera and just photographing the garden's progress and taking pictures of the little details that I think through a camera lens, things often look even more beautiful. So I love just going out there, taking pictures of the flowers, little buds when they first come up, those little details. Excellent. Also harvesting. Love harvesting. <laughs> What's your favorite crop to harvest? The mustard greens. Oh, and when the fruits are coming up, we just got the first of our golden raspberries. I love that. Just going in there and picking off and eating and snacking. <clears throat> yeah. So raspberries are always yummy, aren't they? And fun. Mm -hmm. uh, all right. How about the best gardening advice you have ever received? Lo tranquilo, tranquilo. Muy <laughs> tranquilo. Yeah. We stayed with uh, this this family down in Argentina, this old couple had a little, I don't know, two acre homestead and we'd be out there, you know, trying to get things done. And he would tell us, you know, tranquilo, tranquilo, you know, slow down, you know, take a moment to just appreciate what, what's happening in front of you. That's all. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, have you guys ever entered a fair? No, not yet. Okay, cool. How about a favorite tool that you like to use? Like when you guys leave, if you could only take one tool, would you take tools with you? Maybe you don't. Maybe you guys are traveling around with bat. I don't know. Got a tool that you oh, just love? Absolutely. Uh, and it's nice, small, and compact. Okay. I, I would be lost. We would have nothing growing if it weren't for my headlamp. For the graveyard shifts uh, on slug duty or getting Japanese beetles off the vegetation. Um, I, yeah, <laughs> need that headlamp. Excellent. Sure. Can't go garden without it. <laughs> I would say a shovel. Can't garden without that. <laughs> yeah, it's a close tie. Yeah. Cool. A man after my own heart. I couldn't live without my headlamp. I use it like every day. I don't go pick beetles off my, my plants though. Um, eating or harvesting vegetables or fruit on time? Oh, all right. So that's my question that I usually ask guests. I know one of my friends was like, Jackie, that's not even a real question. You have to put it in a complete sentence. But I always seem to have like too much stuff ripe at once, but it's not enough to really take anywhere. It seems like by the time I get to town, if I pick it for friends, it's, you know, ucky or squishy, you know, just getting, I don't know. So you guys got any tips for that? Too much harvest at one time. One thing I'm learning is I need to like do stuff more in succession. 
Except for my question with that is like, to me, it's like you need to put it in the ground as soon as the ground's workable. And like I said, like our spinach bolted already. Some of my lettuce is bolting already. Hmm. Yeah, we know what you mean. It's 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 heart wrenching to see surplus go to waste like that. Um, it we tried to overcome that with fermenting fermentations. We fermented some radishes for the first time a few years ago, and it just turned out amazing. Uh, we didn't really care for the radishes at the time because they're so sharp tasting, but then through the fermentation, it that kind of dissipated and it was just delicious. So we're really tinkering with different fermentations as opposed to um, the traditional canning or jarring. Yeah. I just started canning last year and like the idea of all the water that goes into it and all the heat compared to fermentation, it's just not to say that I wouldn't can again, but I probably wouldn't do as much canning as I did last year. I'd probably ferment more. And at the same time, fermented foods are more nutritious. You know, there's research that says that the health of our gut is determined by the health of our body. And fermented foods helps to sort of undo some of the damage that we do to it with processed foods. <clears throat> Absolutely. I was listening to um, this. Uh, she's like the canning expert for... Um, like PBS TV, she's on that Growing Greener World, and her podcast is called Living Homegrown, and she had a really good episode about um, fermented pickles versus canned pickles versus, uh, what was the, uh, there was one other way, and she talked about the fermented pickles were definitely the healthiest and most nutritious, but kind of more, a little more labor intensive, like they took a little more time, although she said it was pretty easy, Um just maybe a lot so is it kind of a longer process or did you find it you you seem to like it better than the canning anyway right yeah i mean what are sauerkrauts you have to keep checking on it for sure um yeah what is it to make sure they don't spoil or yeah. i mean if you don't have a, a good crock a mop that has a seal on it uh, okay. airtight seal we're if you're makeshifting crocs with mason jars and whatnot, you have to keep a good eye on it uh, to clean out the, back, the bad bacteria at the top. I shouldn't say bad, but yeah. just, mm-hmm. yeah, it's more maintenance than just canning once, putting it in a cupboard, and no one will be there in the winter. Okay. I've never really seen fermented um, food processed i guess like mike does a lot of canning for us which to me always looks like this like super science experiment i stay far away from and um it just it just makes me nervous having that pressure cooker go but he just is a natural i guess his mom you know he grew up that way so but um fermenting but i i did have a guest patty ann who's the minister at my church and she gave me some of that probiotic sauerkraut that's really good that she makes so um yeah. Uh, do you have any secrets for preserving food or making it last besides the fermentation? Is that pretty much your, do you dry any, dehydrate anything or freeze things or any tips for that? We've, yeah, we freeze some herbs. Um, I would love to get a dehydrator and start drying this year. But other than the canning and fermenting, I, I don't have much experience preserving in other ways. 
Uh, how about yeah. tips for freezing herbs? Because I don't really ever freeze herbs, and nobody's mentioned that on the show. Like, is there like a special? Do you just put them in a plastic bag, or do you freeze them ahead of time, or how do you do that? What I do is, you know, wash them off, make sure they're dry, then um, wrap them in paper towel, and then put them in freezer bags. <clears throat> okay. And like Ziploc bags, and just stick them in, or also. Um, putting them in ice cubes that works too okay i always put my violets in ice cubes in the beginning of the spring they're yeah fun. they're so pretty in mm-hmm. like drinks right yeah mm-hmm. I do that too. uh how about special techniques for cooking weird or unusual foods anything strange that you guys make that somebody maybe has not heard of you don't make anything strange but I don't know. I just learned about garlic scapes okay. last year, and that was weird and strange to me, but we just made it into a pesto, and that's usually, like, how we, <laughs> if it's weird and strange, make it into a pesto. Uh, hey, let's try making a pesto out of it. I just learned about garlic scapes, like, two weeks ago from one of my guests, and then since I've had this podcast, I've learned that you can make pesto out of other things besides basil. But yeah. I have not tried it yet. So, so what other things have you made pesto out of? Uh, garlic mustard. Do you guys have that out in Montana? The weed that Isn't kind of takes over. Invasive. Mm, not that I know. Of. I've never heard of a garlic mustard. Yeah, it's a it's a woodland perennial. No, annual. Um, just noxious weed that's taken over the Northeast here and displacing a lot of native plants and they just grow in massive bumps uh so there's no use harvest and a lot of people just pull them out and and burn them because the seeds in the grounds for so long but they're totally edible so we uh we harvested made a pesto this year yeah really tasty what'd you put in it did you put like pine nuts or walnuts or some kind of nut with it walnuts yep cool how about a favorite recipe you like to cook from the garden? I don't, I don't have one. <laughs> Salads, if that's a recipe. Yeah. Easiest thing. I even said for my, when my friend interviewed me for the show, I picked my favorite salad dressing to put on my salads was my recipe. Mm-hmm. So just salads with like lettuce and different greens? Yeah, whatever greens are ready and available. All right, well then tell us about a a like unusual meal or some really good. You've got to have like a dinner or a breakfast or a, some meal you have with one of the families that you worked with that stands out. Uh, yeah. Well, in Bariloche down in Patagonia, we had rice one night. It was pretty good. But there was a lot left over, and. The night afterwards, we had rice again, which I don't mind, but she took them and made sort of rice balls, Mm. fried them up. I don't know. It was something I'd never had before. had sort of like a crunchy outer layer and then soft rice, gooey rice in the middle. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was Mm -hmm. really interesting. Rice balls was like a traditional um, food that we ate. My mom would cook for the trimming of the tree. When we trimmed our Christmas tree, there was always like this traditional dinner that she would make with like, it had rice balls and then there were these little 
chickpea patty things that she would make and I don't know there always had to be like olives and fennel conduit or something condit and uh what else would we have I don't know there was always something special about trimming the Christmas tree dinner rice balls one of my favorites in my family cool all right I like that how how about a favorite internet resource anywhere on the web you like to go for like gardening tips this is gonna sound really silly but does pinterest count absolutely it sure does addiction it, yeah i do kind of have sort of an addiction to pinterest and you're not the only it's, one it's yeah. scary i think there's a lot of good things i like it took me forever to understand pinterest and it wasn't like and especially because i was always going there looking for artists and i thought you know what a perfect place you know pinterest it just seems so visual it seemed like that's where the artists would be but when i looked up gardening and got a gardening account and started like really looking at what the other gardeners were put up that's when i really finally started to understand pinterest Nope, I think that's a great one. And if listeners have not, you, I don't think anybody else has recommended that on the show. And if listeners have not been there, yeah, definitely check out Pinterest for gardening. Um, and the and one part I really liked about it is there's tons of stuff for teachers and educational pieces on there. Yeah. How you can use gardening in your classroom. How about a favorite reading material, like a book or a magazine or a blog or anything that you like? Hmm. Uh, I like to keep updated on with Jeff Lawton's uh, site called permaculturenews.org. Mm-hmm. It's got articles there, maybe two or three a week of new trials or experiments people have done with growing food uh, all over the world oh, and really? what seems to be working or breakthroughs. Uh, a lot of positiveness there. Um, yeah, that's what I I like to keep following on, or I think a Montana guy, uh, Paul Wheaton on permies.com. Well, I'm really interested in herbs. Um, so there's one book here that I have it in front of me. It's pretty extensive book from Rodale press and it's called growing and using the healing herbs. And it just goes through the history of how herbs have been used in, you know, different cultures and then helps you with plant identification and then also preparations, how to make salves, tinctures, decoctions, all that kind of thing. Cool. I like that. Um, and as a side note, I'm going to add, so we have this gardening challenge going. I don't know if you guys have heard about it and you can certainly enter into key if you want. Um, and it's like the challenges to grow one fruit, vegetable, flower, or as my mom pointed out, herbs, because she decided they had to have their own category. Um, she thought I'd forgotten them. I just figured people would enter them. I don't know. I just thought they'd say, I'm going to grow oregano or I'm going to grow basil. But she wanted them. So she's offering a book to the people who enter an herb. And you just have to grow like what you would grow for one season. Like we didn't okay. even say a whole year, like what you would grow. But most herbs, I mean, you're going to get enough. If you put an herb in the ground, you're usually going to get enough for a whole year, I think, anyway, if you um, just dry them. Or... I always have a basil plant on my windowsill that just goes all year long. So, yeah. Uh, okay. So are you guys ready for my final question? It's a easy. Yes. Here we go. Okay. 
If there was one change you would like to see to create a greener world, what would it be? For example, is there a charity or organization you're passionate about or a project you'd like to see put into action? Like, what do you feel is the most crucial issue facing our planet in regards to the environment, either locally, nationally, or on a global scale? Okay. <laughs> It's a doozy. It is. <laughs> um, Go ahead. So it sounded like a two-part question. And the first one, the way to create a greener world, to me, I think it's offering more opportunities for young people to get outside and be with nature and really learn about food that you know doesn't come in a box on the grocery store shelf. It comes from the soil and the ground and cultivation. Um, so I think, you know, it's a growing movement, at least from what I see, you know, having grown up in New York City and seeing all these school gardens popping up. Um, I think that's a step in the right direction to sort of get younger people to really be more involved in, in their own um, nutrition and their own health. Nice. <clears throat> Did you have a part two? Oh, right. Uh, <laughs> sorry about that. No worries. Uh, the crucial issue, the most crucial issue facing us, I think it's uh, the lack of willpower for a lot of people to reduce their energy consumption. I think it it's really easy to sort of um, view things that are luxuries as needs nowadays especially on the part of, you know, more, more developed nations. And on a local level, you know, it's what you do in your home, turn off the light switch. On a national level, it's where do we get our energy as a nation? And on a global scale, it's, you know, thinking about people that are in other countries that suffer so that you can sort of continue to have the standard of living that you have. Um, like I the think, people, go ahead. That, that was all. <laughs> I was just thinking like the people in the Maldives who are really, you know, feeling the effects of climate change firsthand. And that we, I just think that we have to kind of think of them and consider them. I love your answer. Excellent. How about you, Jeremy? Um, it's so hard to, to, to pick one because it's, everything is so interdependent. Uh, there's so many issues that we face this very unique time. Uh, in history of humanity that it's tough to just solve one because there's so many um, but the energy crisis that Nikki pointed out is I think maybe if you can isolate one maybe maybe it'd be that one that the total embodied impact uh, of all of our energy desires and needs what they what it'll have on future generations um, yeah, if we can be a little more conscientious of that, that would give us a greener world. Awesome. You guys are amazing. Are you guys, you guys got to be millennials, right? I love the millennials. I think they're the best generation <laughs> that's come along yet. You guys rock. How about an inspirational tip or quote to help motivate listeners to reach into the dirt and start their own garden? Hmm. I just read one yesterday that stands out in my mind. It's to 
live a life that you don't need a vacation from. <laughs> Rob Hill Sr. I had a quote from Theodore Roosevelt, but it's it's pretty long, and I don't know that it's really specific to, to gardening. I think it's... Go for it. I trust to, your intuition. <laughs> it applies to many things. Okay. But it's uh, the man in the arena speech. I don't know if you've heard that one. You mm. probably have. It goes like this. Um, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who actually strives to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Perfect. Oh, I love it. I think that was excellent. Uh, and I, I think that's so true that you should never, uh, you should just always encourage people who are putting themselves out there. I was just um, reading this blog today about um, the importance of stepping outside of your own comfort zone and just you know, doing, doing things and taking action. I hear a lot on podcasts about, you know, taking action and just, um, what do they say? The guy who was the founder of LinkedIn, if you're not embarrassed by your first product, you ship too late and just get out there and, and try to think. And that's the guy who founded LinkedIn. So, um, that's a good one. yeah. Uh, how do people connect with you if they, if they want to reach out to you guys or check out your blog or. Yep. Our blog is uh, wayfaringwibles.com, W-A-Y-F-A-R-I-N-G-W-Y-B-L-E-S.com. And we're on Pinterest and Instagram. Cool. Wayfaring. Thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing all your fun adventures and putting up with my technology problems. And it's just been a doozy <laughs> of a week. Thank you for listening to the Organic Gardener podcast. I'd like to encourage you to visit our website at awesomemontana.com. That's just A-W-E-S-O-M-E-M-O-N-T-A-N-A.com. Like Awesome Montana, all spelled out. And click on Mike's Green Garden and the Organic Gardener podcast, and it will link right to the show notes and all the things we've talked about on today's show. Thanks again for listening and grow local.